fellow Americans, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, happy to have you be on the show. But before I get to any calls, I want to talk about the economic news that's out there right now. Let me read you a couple of uh, blurbs. This from Axios. The stock market jumped as the Federal Reserve hinted that significant rate cuts were coming next year. Hopes that rate hikes are finished have fueled this year's 22% rise in the S&P 500. The official statement from the U.S. Central Bank at 2 p.m. Wednesday and the subsequent remarks by Chair Jerome Powell largely confirmed the view. The Fed left rates untouched and tweaked its policy statement to suggest additional rate heights are no longer necessary. In one passage of the statement, the Fed notes the factors the committee will use to determine the extent of any additional policy firming. That is a significant change from past language about determining the extent of additional policy firming. In other words, the appearance of any suggests further rate hikes, which before were a foregone conclusion, are now a mere possibility. We added the word any as an acknowledgement that we believe that we are likely at or near the peak rate for this cycle. Most top Fed officials now foresee cutting rates three or four times in 2024. The median projection is that in December of next year, the Fed's target rate will be 4.6%, uh, 75 basis points lower than now. The yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note, one of the most widely followed measures of interest rates, plunged below 4%. Thursday morning, meaning uh, treasuries don't need as high an interest rate to induce people to buy them because stability is coming. Now, there's another headline. This is from the Wall Street Journal uh, that the, well, where did it go? Uh, here it is. Sorry. They refreshed and then the screen went blank. <laughs> um, the headline, y'all, what's going on with the Wall Street Journal? Headline, Americans are spending on the holidays after all. This is another encouraging sign that uh, consumers are actually spending. The Commerce Department on Thursday morning reported retail sales rose a seasonally adjusted three-tenths of a percent in November from October, even factoring in some downward revision to previous sales data. This was better than the decline of one-tenth of one percent analysts uh, polled by the Wall Street Journal were looking for. It's just the latest indication that despite the downbeat attitudes, Americans profess in polls, a strong job market and continued reserves of savings built up early in the pandemic are giving them the wherewithal to keep shopping. The news is better, really, considering what's been happening with prices. Overall, inflation still with us, but in many retail categories, prices have turned lower. Tuesday's inflation report from the Labor Department showed toy prices were down 2.8%. From a year earlier, sporting good prices were down 1.8%, and prices for computers, smart home assistance, and the like were down 4.6%. Gasoline prices have fallen, too, leaving Americans with extra cash to spend elsewhere. Exclude gasoline stations, and Thursday's report showed retail sales were up six-tenths of 1%. All of this sounds fantastic. In fact, it is good news. There's no reason to talk down the good news. 
there's good news. There is, however, other news out there that's not as good. The Democrats keep poo-pooing the polling that shows Americans feel like they're falling behind, saying not really. But they still are. They're putting more money on credit cards. Credit card interest rates are high. It's costlier and costlier to buy a house, so they're not. So they're not building long-term equity. Grocery prices are still expensive. They're still going up in price, just not up as quickly. The underlying fundamentals for microeconomics is still not good. And, and that's the difference here, micro and macroeconomics. The, the, on the big picture, the macroeconomic level, the United States is doing better than every other country on the planet, particularly China, which is in a depression. The macro, at the microeconomic level, the, the household level, though, people are still hurting. People are still upset about it. Now, maybe their fortunes will change. A growing number of economists are suggesting perhaps we could get out of this without a recession. That's usually the big red flag, actually, that we're headed into a recession. But if the Federal Reserve is going to start cutting rates again. That could actually boost the economy next year. The question is this. Um, question is this. If, if they cut rates and it provokes inflation, because, let's be honest, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans have any impulse control when it comes to spending. So if they cut rates again and then it provokes more inflation and they have to raise rates again, that's going to wobble the economy. And when it, the wobbling starts, people are going to get hurt and fall off the economy. The, 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 the data looks so good, y'all. It looks so good. And it looks like the Federal Reserve, despite the stuff the Biden administration has done, actually the Federal Reserve has done a good job of trying to tamp down inflation without wrecking the economy. It looks that way for now. But looks can be deceiving. When you look underneath it all, the cost people are still paying for groceries, the cost people are still paying for insurance, the cost people are still paying for houses, the cost people are still paying for clothes, the cost people are still paying for the basic necessities of life, it's all more expensive still. So people, they, they get this, they, they've gotten pay raises, and the pay raises have been eaten up by the cost of living. So people are mad. And these things, these things are just this, this massive, massive problem for the underlying economic data as much as the macroeconomic data looks so good at the household level people are still hurting and what makes those people really mad is how many people in the media are dismissive of them how many people are belittling to them all the people who have a upper income existence not in the middle class who don't get it and are belittling the people in the middle class who are suffering, and that's still continuing to build the backlash towards Joe Biden. All of this data is headed in the right direction, including, by the way, the cost of groceries, headed in the right direction. But those costs are still too high for people, and lecturing them that they don't know how good they have it just makes them more mad. All right, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Drew, I'm going to go to you first. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, look. Uh, I wanted to say that um, I feel that 
the Republicans are kind of like playing victim um, because they in hot water with January 6th and trying to get Trump back in there. They're going to have to throw the, um, the Democrats under the bus saying that we hate the Jews and we on the terrorist side because they don't want to focus on January 6th and Trump trading the country again. They want to focus on the economy, making it sound like it's bad and bad, and we all going to die if Trump don't get back in there. But you heard he say he's going to um, rule the country the way he did before, right? Yeah. I mean, Trump ain't changed. It's just that the Republicans are trying to throw the Democrats under the bus to get the eye off the ball that, you know, the 91 counts don't matter. He didn't do nothing. I mean, do you, are you with January 6th or not? Drew, uh, why are you, I mean, you're you're doing to the Republicans what you say the Republicans are doing to the Democrats. You, you're, so we got to focus on January 6, 2021, Drew? Really? You want to focus on January 6, 2021? How about now? You say the Republicans, you yourself said the Republicans want to focus on the economy. You're damn right the Republicans want to focus on the economy. Joe Biden broke it. Yes, I remember what Donald Trump did in office. He brought down inflation. He raised the job rate for black Americans. He raised the job rate for women. He lowered the unemployment rate. He did a good thing killing Kasim Soleimani. You want me to denounce all of that? You're obsessed with January 6th of 2021. Republicans are obsessed with the here and the now and the broken economy. You're absolutely right we're going to focus on the economy. You're absolutely right we're going to focus on the progressives marching to the streets for Hamas. You're absolutely right we're going to focus on the Democrats who think there's no difference between boys and girls. You're absolutely right we're going to focus on the Democrats being unable to side with an anti-Semitism resolution in the House of Representatives because they're afraid of alienating themselves from the pro-Hamas supporters. You're absolutely right. If you want to keep focusing on January 6th, you focus on January 6th all you want. I'm happy to help you focus on January 6th. You keep that focus on January 6th all you want while the rest of us talk about Joe Biden's bad economy, Joe Biden's bad on education, Joe Biden and the wokes, Joe Biden and the Hamas supporters, Joe Biden and the pro-Palestinian anti-free speech people who are harassing Jews in America. Yes, we will focus on all of that and you can whine about January 6th. Because you know, Everyone who is going to vote this coming November will have lived through the Trump presidency and the Biden presidency and will remember that for all of Donald Trump's faults, and there are many, they had a job and groceries were cheap and we weren't at war in Ukraine or in Israel. All that stuff happened when Joe Biden became president. Are you better off today? than you were four years ago. According to the data, 76% of Americans say no. No, I am not. And that, Drew, is on Joe Biden, not Donald Trump. That's the fallout of Joe Biden's policies. You can scream about January 6th as it's the worst thing ever in your mind. But I'll tell you what's worse. 
chopping the heads off of babies and putting children in ovens and baking them alive and tying fathers and sons together, pouring gasoline on them and striking a match to burn them alive. And that's what Hamas did. And that's something that too many Democrats, including too many college professors and college presidents, can't morally denounce without both sidesing the situation. And Americans right now want moral, clear leadership. And believe it or not, as much as an immoral person Donald Trump is, and yes, I do think he's an immoral person, he provides greater moral clarity on the innate nature of evil than Joe Biden's administration can because Joe Biden's administration can't alienate themselves from the pro-Hamas Democrats out there marching to the streets chanting genocide to the Jews. So, yeah, focus on January 6th all you want. We'll focus on every other issue and see what voters vote for. He'll do the research and give it to you straight. Eric Erickson is live every weekday. Want to be on the show? Come on, be on the show. Call Eric now at 877-973-7425. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's squeeze in a phone call here from Walt. Welcome to the show, Walt. How are you? Walt? Yes, this is Walt. Hi, Walt. It's Eric Erickson. I'm talking to you on the radio. Well, thank you. Appreciate you taking my call. Yeah, well, Walt, uh, Walt, Walt, you're on a you're on a speakerphone, and I can't really, the listeners and I can't really understand you. Let me pull it up close. Is this better? All right, well, nope, sorry, man. Um, sorry, nope, there's a, they, no, we, the, the, the call quality was not sufficient for everyone else on radio. I, I apologize. Uh, if you can get to a, like, non-speakerphone, feel free to call back. But, yeah, that that's not going to work. Okay, we got to move on to other stuff. Um, we got a lot of other stuff we have. So I've got so much stuff that I need to talk about, um, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to it. But have you all heard about the... Um, it's the wind turbine project off the East Coast. This is one of those weird things where the environmentalists um, are at odds with each other. So they've been building these these windmills off the East Coast, the Delaware, Rhode Island region, and it's causing whales to come ashore and killing a bunch of whales. And the Biden administration decided it was fine to kill the whales because we wanted the wind power. That's right. Kill the whales because we want the wind. But uh, finally, local governments have stepped in and they're killing the project because they won't admit to it publicly, but privately they're saying, yeah, it turns out they're killing killing the whales. This is like the birds. They're killing the birds. It's it's kind of crazy that um, it, the birds are, are all dying out there. It's just, it's windmills only work when the wind is blowing. And it's just not going to be useful for most people. And I say all that because I see this story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, named after the mythical sea monster, the Cherubitis is going to be the first vessel allowed to pick up turbine parts from U.S. ports, haul them into the ocean, and construct skyscraper-sized windmills. Backers herald the project as part of a burgeoning boom in green manufacturing, but those hopes face mounting threats. The ship's construction is running behind schedule and over budget. Developers that charted the ship for projects off the East Coast have scrambled for backups. And the pipeline for new vessels is running dry because shipbuilders are looking at similar projects with caution. Such supply chain snags coupled with inflation and interest rate hikes have busted project schedules 
hammered developers' expected returns and pushed up what Americans will ultimately pay for offshore wind power. Investors and developers fear the U.S. market is in trouble before it really gets started. They're killing whales and bankrupted people driving up prices of power on a windmill project at sea that's not nearly as efficient. Why will we not build nuclear power plants in this country? If you want all of the above, that's fine. Wind, solar, coal, natural gas, nuclear, but wind and solar only work when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing. We have got to build more nuclear power plants in this country. We've got to do it. And the left hates nuclear power. Why? Because ultimately, they want us as a society to recede. They don't want us to have unlimited clean power from nuclear power because if so, our society could advance, and that advancement would be bad, according to the environmentalists. They simply are anti-growth and, frankly, anti-human. Great group pushing back on the sort of nonsense that advocates for nuclear power, advocates for free market solutions as Americans for Prosperity, and they want you on their side. Americans for Prosperity will teach you how to be the most effective advocate for free markets and free people on the planet. They'll teach you how to fight for limited government, how to make a persuasive case for school choice and deregulation and tax reform for small businesses and moms and dads. They want you on their side. they got over 4 million activists around the country. They train them, educate them, get them out into the field fighting for free markets and free people. You could be one of them. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with Americans for Prosperity. Learn how to be an effective advocate for freedom in this country. Learn how to be an effective advocate against the insanity of the Biden administration. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. They will train you. They will teach you how to make persuasive cases to your neighbors and your government officials, and they will put you in the fight for free markets and free people around the country. They believe in limited government, and they don't go wobbly. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. He's got the courage to tell you the truth, even when it isn't popular. You're listening to The Eric Erickson Show. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. And the phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I'm happy to have you. I, I'm going to I'm going to descend into the depths, but actually go up and look down on the world at 50,000 feet. I want to give you some land, the lay of the land here. Been thinking about this one. Had some conversations um, yesterday. So I, I I got asked to be, and they called it a cohort. It was four of us. And it's over, and I'm sad. And so it was a friend of mine who's a pastor in Atlanta, Jason Dees. He's the senior pastor of Christ Covenant. If you're in the metro Atlanta area, just as a small plug for Jason, if you're in the metro Atlanta area and you're looking for a fantastic church community, uh, Christ Covenant. Um, I, I got friends at different different churches in the area. Don't want to step on other people's toes, but my gosh, the community Christ Covenant has developed is phenomenal. And so Jason, my buddy, he's the senior pastor there, uh, did this cohort. It was just four of us. I don't want to tell you who was in it, um, but it, it we're over. Uh, it, it, ended, it was one year. I'm like, can I just keep this one going? This is kind of like my safe space. Um, I, 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 everybody needs a group of people they can hang out with and just be honest and, and also accountable. We were having this discussion about Tim Alberta's book. I actually do want to get Tim on the show. I've started reading his book. Um, but I, I, I was talking about something 
um, yesterday in this group, and it was a quote from Joseph Ratzinger, who became Benedict XVI. And he wrote this in 2009 in a book called Faith in the Future, and, and we actually were reading this in, in seminary. Yeah, I went to a Protestant reform seminary reading uh, the Pope because he makes a good point here. I want to read you this quote. This, this, this is applicable to all of us regardless of your theological orientation, shall I say. The church will become small and will have to start afresh more or less from the beginning. She will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices she built in prosperity. As the number of her adherents diminishes, she will lose many of her social privileges. It will be hard going for the church, for the process of crystallization and clarification will cost her much valuable energy. It will make her poor and cause her to become the church of the meek. The process will be long and wearisome, as was the road from the false progressivism on the eve of the French Revolution, when a bishop might be thought smart if he made fun of dogmas and even insinuated that the existence of God was by no means certain. But when the trial of this sifting is past, a great power will flow from a more spiritualized and simplified church. Men in a totally planned world will find themselves unspeakably lonely. If they have completely lost sight of God, they will feel the whole horror of their poverty. Then they will discover the little flock of believers as something wholly new. They will discover it as a hope that is meant for them, an answer for which they have always been searching in secret. And so it seems certain to me that the church is facing very hard times. The real crisis has scarcely begun. We will have to count on terrific upheavals, but I am equally certain about what will remain at the end, not the church of the political cult, which is dead already, but the church of faith. She may well no longer be the dominant social power to the extent that she was until recently, but she will enjoy a fresh blossoming to be seen as man's home where he will find life and hope beyond death. In other words, uh, this is then Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger become Pope Benedict XVI, saying that the church is going to be smaller and more refined. There are a lot of people who go to church on Sunday and, and they're just there on Sunday or they don't even go, self-identified evangelicals. Uh, one of the guys in, in my group yesterday was talking about a book with some data in it, and here's the data in this book is by, I think, Nancy Percy on toxic masculinity. Self-identified evangelical Christians in the United States of America are actually as bad when it comes to marriage and raising kids and divorce or worse than the secular world. Many of the people who quote scripture but don't actually go to church, they consider themselves evangelicals, or actually have a higher divorce rate. They have a higher rate of cheating. They have a higher rate of, of uh, issues with um, issues with raising kids and running businesses and a higher rate of unethical behavior. However, the ones who actually go to church on Sundays, the ones who are actually in church, the ones who raise their children in a godly household, the ones who read scripture, they have the lowest rate of divorce of any group. And I want all of you, whether you're churched or not, whether you consider yourself evangelical or not, whether you consider yourself secular or not, whether you consider yourself Democrat or Republican, I want you to understand this because we oftentimes too broadly lump people in with labels. And a lot of people will define themselves as something like Catholic and Jew at this point are as much ethnic identifiers 
uh, as anything else. They're not really necessarily religious identifiers because there are a lot of people who consider themselves Catholic, but that's because of their upbringing. They're not really adherents of, of the Roman Catholic Church. There are a lot of people who are Jewish, but they're ethnically Jewish. They're not actually practicing Jews. There are a lot of people in the South in particular who identify themselves as evangelical, but that's their ethnic identifier at this point because they're not going to church. They know nothing about the church, and they look just like the world around them. But there are two dynamics to this. I don't care who you are. Don't tune it out because you think it's, oh, Erickson's going religious. Because I'm not. I, I need you to understand this point because it goes to a larger point that everybody needs to be in tune with. The people who call themselves evangelicals but have no actual faith. They use the label for societal advancement, particularly in the South. Those people actually are more prone to divorce than atheists. The people who call themselves evangelicals and don't go to church are actually more prone to unethical business behavior than atheists. The people who call themselves evangelicals but really don't go to church are more prone to having problems with their kids than atheists. The people who wield the word of God for their own gain and don't believe it are more likely to have divorces, more likely to commit adultery, more likely to have screwed up kids, more likely to engage in dishonest and unethical business practices. Funny how that works. But also understand this. The people who call themselves evangelicals who actually go to church on Sundays, actually get their kids to church, actually take God's word seriously, they are have the lowest divorce rate in the country of all groups, of all demographics, of all religions. Evangelical Christians who actually go to church and raise their family in church have the lowest divorce rate, have the lowest rate of kids going nuts and, and losing their kids to the world, have the highest rate of business success. The people who take it seriously, take it seriously and behave accordingly. So this gets me into the larger quote here of where things are headed. Um, I mentioned this earlier in passing. Let me now mention it more explicitly. In the 1990s, a lot of Southern Baptists, in fact, the Southern Baptist Convention, passed a resolution really calling out Bill Clinton on his, on his character flaws. And a lot of the people who decided character counted in the 90s when Trump came along in 2016 said, well, I mean, we think it's a good thing, but it's not, not a deal breaker for us. And are now eight years later thinking, how did we get this way? How do we have all these insane people in Congress and insane people on my own side? Well, you know, when you decided character counted and you compromised on that issue, well, you compromised and gave away the House. 
Now we're seeing the same thing on, on abortion with the right. The number of people coming up who are, well, I was pro-life, but this is intolerable. I'm not really as pro-life as I said I was, and we need to compromise on this. What's happening here is uh, the political idols of our day are being used by a higher power to force to us to decide how far we're going to compromise. If it's all about power for you, you're going to win the world and lose your soul. At some point, you have to decide you're not going to compromise anymore to gain power, and you're going to be willing to lose, and when you lose, suddenly you win. That's the weird thing about faith is it's counterintuitive. You die to live, you lose to win. And too many people are playing the secular game. People who say they're people of faith, they're behaving just like everyone else around them. They're living their life exactly the way everyone else is. They don't actually take it seriously. They probably fundamentally don't believe it, and they're playing the same game. You know, you don't have to play the same game. You don't have to play by the same rules. You can do it differently. And those who do it differently are going to shine. Just think about this for a minute. If you if you ever read the Old Testament, read it just for literature if you want. I, but it's fascinating. So, some of the rules, like the the no shellfish. Don't eat shellfish. I mean, the Jews couldn't eat shrimp. Poor, poor, poor Jewish people couldn't eat shrimp. Don't don't get tattoos. Don't wear mixed fabric clothing. They weren't talking about polyester back then, but other things. Don't do it. Now, you know what those rules were? They were cleanliness rules and stuff, but they were designed to set God's people apart from everybody else. They were designed to make them stand out. That um, all the And essentially, look at what happens to the culture today. Look at all the people having tattoos. And clearly, it's a reflection of, of, of the culture that was around the Israelites when they went in, into the Promised Land as all the other tribes around them had a bunch of tattoos and uh, ate whatever they wanted. And here comes God saying, here, you do these things, and you're going to set yourself apart, and people are going to look at you interestingly. You fast forward to the New Testament, it's not the cleanliness knolls, it's not the tattoos and things like that. It's the don't be litigious. The Roman pagan society was very litigious. Everybody sued everybody. It was sport. So don't be litigious. Be meek. Don't be boastful. Don't be braggadocious. Help the weary. Help other people. Love your neighbor. The Romans didn't have a very neighborly society. Next-door neighbors didn't care for each other. They they sued each other. And, and here comes Paul writing in Christ saying, do all these things, and you're going to look completely different from everyone else around you. And what happened? They looked different. They looked happy. They weren't litigious. They weren't argumentative. They weren't bullies. They were happy and helpful and kind and friendly, and their neighbors could turn to them in times of trouble, and they would rescue the children from the abori, that is, the the, the trash heaps of the Roman Empire. Yes, we get the word abortion because the Romans would leave their children in the abori, the trash heaps, to die, and the Christians would go rescue the children and raise them and grow grow the, the family, and then they would get persecuted and executed, and, and they would be joyful all the way to painful death, and, and people were inspired by that, and they grew the church. And the point here for you is not a theological point, it's this. If you look like the world around you, you're going to reflect the world around you, and don't be surprised when you start bellyaching about how bad the world around you is that you're reflecting it. You make a conscious choice to play by the rules of the society around you or you don't. And you don't have to play by the rules of society around you. You can do it differently. You can do it differently. 
and you probably should do it differently. The church should not be a political cult. I saw some pastor giving a speech at a Trump rally saying essentially that um, Trump is going to get elected and he will be God's judgment upon the world. No, he will not be God's judgment upon the world. Jesus Christ will bring God's judgment upon the world, and Trump ain't Jesus. Weaving your politics and your faith together makes you look just like the world where the secular religion is woven into the politics of the day. You don't have to do that. People are searching for something. And at this Christmas season, I just want to leave you with this. People are searching. People are hurting. People are isolated and lonely. And the world just seems out to get them. And the world seems upside down and crazy and insane. And they're looking for calm. They're looking for peace. And they're looking for a way through the slog. And you can provide them that with a smile and a kind word and the impression that you know something they don't know. And that something is a joy that they don't have. Men in a totally planned world will find themselves unspeakably lonely. If they've completely lost sight of God, they will feel the whole horror of their poverty. Then they will discover the little flock of believers as something wholly new. They will discover it as a hope that is meant for them, an answer for which they have always been searching in secret. Everyone's searching for a way through the world. You can be the light. You don't have to join the darkness. It is absolutely a choice. Well-connected and well-respected. It's Eric Erickson, live every weekday. Get the podcast, live stream, email, and social media links by texting Eric to 33777 now. Y'all, I, I gotta, I gotta put a plug in here for help the persecuted. Uh, three listeners of my flagship station, uh, WSB in Atlanta, stepped forward and offered up combined three hundred thousand uh, dollars matching to those who donate to help the persecuted, and help the persecuted helps rescue people in uh, who have converted to Christianity in the Middle East who would otherwise be killed or jailed or punished. Uh, they help rescue them. They help rebuild their lives. Um, they help them find meaningful income. And uh, the organization always needs help this time of year in particular. If you're interested in supporting them, these three kind souls, I don't know who they are, uh, offered up this matching grant, $300,000. Uh, you can text the word donate to 33777 and help help the persecuted around the world. Text donate to 33777. I'm also going to send a link to Clark's Christmas Kids. Let me check the total here on Clark's Christmas Kids of where they actually are. 1,572 left. Just 1,572 uh, gifts left. They they could still use your help. Um, and please, 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 if you're willing, Clark's Christmas Kids tries to buy gifts for every child in foster care in the state of Georgia. So I got a lot of affiliates in Georgia, so I don't hesitate to, to bring this up, given I got close to 20 different stations in Georgia. 
Um, if you text donate to 33777, I'll send you that link back to clarkschristmaskids.com. You can shop for an individual child in foster care, or you can just click the donate button, make a cash contribution, and uh, you'll be able to um, you'll be able to uh, help Clark's Christmas Kids. It's, it's such a fantastic um, organization. Um, now, I got to tell you, I got to confess to you. I, I, this is a true confession. I hope you enjoyed today's program. This is something I should never admit to you. I had to drive back from Atlanta today, and I got stuck in traffic, and I literally showed up at my desk behind my microphone about 15 minutes before the show started. So my show prep was in real time the entire day. That's why I'm a professional and can do this. <laughs> I I went out last night with a group of friends. We've only got together. It's been two years since we've got together, maybe three and we had a fantastic time, and then I slept through my alarm this morning and had to scramble and drive back home. And so my show prep was done as the show went on today, but I managed to pull it off and produce a good show for everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, I'll be back tomorrow. It's going to be an open line Friday, and I will be willing, more willing to take your phone calls tomorrow. Anne's with me this week, screening calls as well. So I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.